Hi, this is Rachel on Recover. We've got a special guest coming back to finish the show with Annette Schuster. Uh, she's the executive of Kids Need to Know. This is the second part. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Here's part. Um, what are some of the more innovative treatments out there y- you find helpful? Um, well, the work that, you know, I, I don't know that I, I could answer that question as I'm not I don't sit in that, you know, world as a psychotherapist. Um, I think story work is essential to all work. But I also think there's a lot of times there's a lot of work that needs to be done before you can get to story work. So I think that's when there's a variety of modalities of things that are helpful, whether it's EMDR, whether it's, you know, it's um, you've got a somatic, you know, therapy with the body. There's, I think we're the more we learn about the body and the effects of trauma on the brain and the body, the more it's going to help us be effective as we work with victims. So I think that um, I think that's where our world is right now. We're really continuing to try to learn and try to apply the knowledge that we're learning and, and how to help victims. And there's so there's not just one right way. You know, it's different. You know, you have to individualize it. There's some things that are common amongst victims, but every story is unique. Yes. So I think, I think healing at some point always really needs to take place in the context of communities. Um, your harm takes place in the context of relationship, and I believe healing needs to do that. I think individual um, counseling, individual therapy, but I also think you know, well-run group therapy is really essential in in learning that you're not you're not the only one with the story and not the only one with the shame. And that isn't to minimize what you're going through, but that's one of the things abuse does is isolate us, and we think that we're the only ones. And I find group therapy to just be such an essential aspect of of healing. You know, I think what we do in individual work helps prepare us for group work. But I think the community work is one of the most important aspects of being able to to heal. No, um, I just, um, the Unique Foundation, which now is called Sephora, and um, they have a whole, uh, they have groups that are, for um, sexual abuse survivors, but they also have a retreat and it's like a four day retreat. Mm -hmm. And I met several girls on there and we, we stay in contact and as a survivor myself, I find it super helpful and the retreat is free. Really, You just have to, you just have to pay to get there. Oh, wow. Well, that's really good. What, so what do, what is the reach? Tell me a little bit about the retreat. Well, the retreat is four days, and so they kind of just go into training about, like, the brain and how it works and, like, the effects of sexual abuse and, like, you know, and dealing with that. But they also have you do, like, yoga and tai chi and all, uh, like, a and, like, kickboxing type stuff Mm -hmm. and our Muay Thai. And um, they also, like have like a professional chef and he like cooks all these healthy meals for us. Mm. And, you know, they, they just 
had everything you could possibly, you know, they had everything you can imagine just set up for you. And I mean, it's, you know, it's a big thing of bringing people together and getting away from their lives to find other people that are going through what they have also been through. And it's, I think it's a great program. That sounds like something I'd definitely like to look into. I think there's a lot of good programs out there, but definitely I haven't heard of any um, retreats like that that you're talking about that are free. Um, I know there's, you know, the work that Allender Center does, Open Hearts Ministry also has a lay ministry, um, and they do, they teach people how to run groups, and they also, you know, their leaders continue to get to work on their stories. Um, I think that there's a lot available for people. Um, It's just, it's definitely being able to find a place where you feel safe. There's people who are educated enough not to cause more harm, because there are people that, you know, you you can deepen the harm that's there if you don't know what you're doing as well. Most definitely. And I think, you know, if you're going to lead those groups, I mean, I don't necessarily think you need to be a counselor, but I do think you need to have good training before you start leading those programs. Right. You need to understand the science of trauma. You need to understand your own story. You know, you can't help anyone further along in their story than what you've done in your own work. And, whether you're a professional or whether you're a lay person, you will have work to do until the day you go home, until the day you leave this earth. Um, and there's, you know, most people want to say, okay, when will I be done? When will I be over this? And Well, it will just be different, but there is always work to do. So I think the really good leaders, no matter what their initials are or are not after the names are the leaders who continue to do their work and they do it in the context of community. Yes, most definitely. Um, okay, next question. Um, what do you think the community could do to educate about sexual abuse better? Hmm. So what, can you help clarify that question for me? Like what you and I can do or what organizations can do? What, I guess what organizations or communities can do. They can be educated. They could choose to not live in denial and proactively out of, out of good solid knowledge, learn what it takes to help reduce the risk that Um, kids will be abused in their presence in their organization when they're there with them and parents need to be educated because since you've you've interviewed Anna Salter I mean she gives some great experiences you know um, not experiences but examples in her book about not just leaving kids at soccer practice and going off and doing your own thing or you know like actually knowing and being involved where your kids are not just dropping them off, whether it's the music lessons or... So I, I think every individual needs to choose to be educated and at least be aware so that we can begin to reduce the risk of kids being abused. If, if, we're, if we're willing to be... I think organizations can't make changes unless individuals are willing to acknowledge the reality and prevalence of abuse. 
and the likelihood that somewhere their story has um, has that in it. And when individuals then say, really, this, we're done with this, not on our time, not in our space, then what love means is that you're proactive. You don't live in denial. You educate yourself. You you do your best to screen. You know the truth about perpetrators and how they work and victims and what they need. And you create a community that's as safe as it could possibly be. We're never going to be able to ensure 100% that abuse stops, but we can sure reduce it by being aware and proactive. Okay. And um, how do you think the church could do better at responding to sexual abuse? Oh, gosh, that's a good one. Um, I think, first of all, you know, I think all churches need to actually be trauma-informed churches. I, I it feel like that's just a responsibility of a healthy church, is to understand trauma and understand the dynamics of abuse. And it, you, you're not going to protect your body if you don't understand abuse. So you're not going to protect your body if you don't understand the dynamics of how perpetrators operate and why churches are the safest place in the world for perpetrators white churches are the safest place in the world for perpetrators. So I think you have to have leadership that chooses to be aware and lead, and they have to be able to educate. Um, and so when they understand what safe practices are for reducing risks, for, for creating volunteer programs where screening is adequate, you know, one of the things when I teach, um, in churches, one of the pre-teaching questions that I'll ask, pre-seminar questions is, if you've done a background check, um, you've interviewed the person, the background check comes back clean, then you can be very confident you don't have a perpetrator that's volunteering. And almost everybody says yes, and the answer is really no. Because the only time you're gonna know for sure if you have a perpetrator is if they come back because they have they have been convicted of, of a crime. And still, not not all background checks are even going to pick those up. If they're, you know, you can, if you look on a sex offender registry, level one and two sex offenders are there, but level three sex offenders are not there. The ones they don't think, they don't label as likely to repeat, you're not going to find them on the sex offender registry. So, understanding how do you create an environment where there's accountability where where you just have to understand all of those dynamics in order to help create the safest environment possible and when there's victims then because you are trauma informed then you'll have resources you'll you'll be able to understand how not to shame a victim how to get a victim help have resources for victims have have resources within your church, whether there's groups, whether there's counseling, whether there's a professional counseling, there has to be resources for them. And then if there's someone that's a victim in a church that is accusing somebody within the church, like say church leadership, there's a legal protocol that needs to be followed. And they're never supposed to become an isolated judge and jury about whether somebody's guilty or not guilty or are victims telling the truth or not. There's a protocol that needs to be followed and it needs to always be reported either depending on who the accused is, um, 
either to the child services or to the police department. So they have to be trauma-informed if they're going to take care of victims. They have to have programs that are set up that are meant to provide support to victims. And they need to believe victims. They need not to be the judge and jury about whether someone's telling the truth or not. That's for the legal system to begin to work on. Um, and has there been improvement in the church? Well, I think I think there's been improvement. I, I think, sadly, improvement can't come unless there's been exposure of tremendous harm. So <clears throat> I think more churches are aware. Like if you... If you'll just, if you've ever felt like doing it, spending an afternoon and just randomly going through the churches in your community and looking up their websites, um, you'll find churches now that have very clear child protection policies. While they may say they want volunteers in their church, there's, there is at least a screening process that they need to go through. Um, and so I think the churches that take it seriously, you're going to see it on the front page of what they do on their websites. Um, and um, so I do think that there's improvement. I also think because of lawsuits, um, insurance companies have required churches um, put some safer practices into place because if they, you know, they'll write clauses into the insurance policies that if, you know, someone who's a volunteer or an employee of the church is accused of sexual abuse, there's a, there's a clause in there that they won't cover it. So I think that that has had to make churches more aware. Um, so I do think that there's improvement, but gosh, there's, we have a long ways to go. Yeah. I know a lot of grants right now to get, um, to get a grant, you have to like for, mental health fields, they have to be trauma informed. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a good policy to have in place. Mm -hmm. um, last two questions. What do you do for self care? Mm. Well, <laughs> that's a really good question because I have to work on that. It's, it's an area where I can certainly improve, but I think it's an area. I mean, I have a lot to balance. I'm adopting my 15 year old granddaughter her adoption will be complete tomorrow um i'm a legal guardian of my 19 year old grandson that has a lot of issues um so just as a kind of parent i have to work at self-care so i i try to do little things you know they can't always be big things but try to find some time every day where i don't have anybody i need to answer to for anything whether i just go sit on my chair and rock in the backyard a little bit, whether I kind of practice what I teach and I get up and I do my morning pages so that at least I stay connected emotionally and all my yuck gets to go someplace and I don't just carry it around with me. And then I have friends and community that I know that I can always turn to when I need to. And every now and then I try to do fun things. My fun thing is I like going to baseball games. So I will go to a baseball game or, or when I can, I will hike or I love to travel. So, but traveling hasn't been part of life really for the past few years. So. Oh, good old COVID. Yeah. Good old COVID. Um, how has this impacted your faith? Oh, gosh, I've been all over the place with my faith. So when you say this, what do you mean by this? Like, 
your work with sexual abuse, being sexually abused, I guess all of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we probably need a lot of years to unpack that one. Um, I've, I've just gone, I've gone through seasons of believing, believing God was good and I was bad. I believe God is the perpetrator and I was the victim. Um, I've hated God. I've tried to disown God. I've been angry, angry, angry. And yet at the, at the same time, it's really, it's my home base. And through all of these years of wrestling, it's like, there's so much I just don't understand. Right. I, I, I can't comprehend, I can't comprehend the harm that takes place in this world and the suffering that takes place in this world and not just through sexual abuse. And yet at the same time, at this point in my life anyway, I I can also come back to a place of, and I don't get it, but I really believe my safe place is God and that he is good and that he is loving and I just don't get it a lot of times. Um, so sometimes nature is what brings me back to that reality, you know, like, you know, I find peace so much in nature and I think, oh, that is a gift that reminds me that, that there really is something bigger than myself. And then, you know, I know where I've come from in my story and where I am now, and I certainly didn't get there on my own. And so it helps me really hold hold faith for others that just they don't have any and they can't see beyond their pain and their hopelessness so i don't know that i've really answered your question but it it's certainly not a it's not a it's not my relationship with god is certainly not a relationship where there's not a lot of wrestling uh, well, I think all of us can acknowledge that at some point in our lives. And, I mean, and and I can get done in meeting someone, and I don't know if swear words are appropriate here, so I'll just try not to. But I'll just say, "What the are you thinking, God? Like, really? <laughs> like, I don't, I just don't get you." But it it doesn't turn into like it did at one point in my life, ten years of rage. It's just like mm-hmm. I don't get you. And yet, you know, I know when I go to bed at night, I have some stuff that I listen to and it's like, okay, that's, but okay, I, I can come to a place of, of comfort and rest at this moment in time. And so, I don't know, it's, a, it's definitely made my faith very living, <laughs> very alive, very real. I can, I can be mad and be swearing at God and, and really love him deeply and be worshiping him also. Maybe a no. little bipolar, but I don't know. <laughs> All over the place. <laughs> it's just what's real, you know? Well, I mean, I think when we deal with this stuff, especially day in and day out, it it makes us question things and depend on him more than we ever thought we we would need to be dependent on him. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and yet, as much as, like, I love him, I just don't get it most of the time. And and I just, I often say, I, like, really, I don't get it. I, I just, I don't get it. And yet, 
it's a good thing I don't have to figure it all out because if I had to come to all my own conclusions, then I'd probably be really angry, bitter, and a harmful force in this world rather than trying to be a helpful force. Fair enough. But I had my season of life where I was so raging angry that I was more of a harmful force than, I, <laughs> than helpful. No, I think many survivors feel that way at some point. Mm-hmm. Well, when I finally believed I had permission to be mad at God, boy, was I mad. All those years of believing it was wrong, I took care of that one. (laughs) And that was such a gift because, you know, he didn't strike me dead. He didn't, lightning didn't come down. He didn't disown me. And I thought, well, okay. Maybe nothing can separate me from the love of God, even my doubts and my lack of faith at times. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, anything else you would like to add before we wrap up? No, I don't. I don't think so. Thank you for the your patience in getting this all together, and for the work you do and the stories you listen to. I mean, you're a survivor trying to help others. So, thank you for inviting me into that journey with you. Well, thank you for letting me be in yours. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're wrapping up here, and I. Uh, Hope to hope to catch you next Thursday, and we'll have a new episode. And uh, always follow us on social media and find us on your favorite podcast. And if not, always come to RachelOnRecovery.com. Thanks. Thank you.